audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston and joining me today is, this is the first surgeon I believe I've had on the podcast right now. It's Dr. Jacob Weasel. Very nice to have you with me, doctor. Well, yeah, pleasure to be here. This, Thank you very much. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this because there's lots of interesting things in here and uh, I want to get to something that I know you're excited about towards the end here a little bit. All right. Sure. So let's get started, uh, Dr. Weasel, with how this all began for you. Where becoming a surgeon um, is is interesting to me because it is it's such a unique field. So when you were younger, mm -hmm. when did that pull start for you? Do you remember? Yeah, I was uh, around the age of 16 years old when I really felt that medicine was something that I wanted to pursue, felt that that's what I was called to uh, in life, honestly. And luckily for me, uh, so my dad was pastor of a church. Um, there was a member of the congregation that was at Creighton University. The church was in Omaha, Nebraska member of the congregation was at Creighton University and was doing some research, and there was a summer research program for um, minority students uh, that were in high school, and so got me hooked up with that program. I was fortunate enough to be accepted into that program, did summer research, ended up going on to present nationally, um, won that summer research colloquium at Creighton University that year, and, and presented down in Florida and a couple other places. Got to visit NIH, uh, and this was all at the age of 17. Oh, wow. And so really opened a lot of doors for me, um, saw the opportunities that were available. And, you know, one thing really led to another, and so uh, my... Through my research at Creighton, um, I was able to be afforded a, a full-ride scholarship, so did my undergrad at Creighton University, and then was fortunate enough to get accepted to the University of Nebraska Med Center for medical school. And so, you know, from the very beginning, I met my wife, uh, which we've been married now for, you know, s 16 years. Get that right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I had to remember. Uh, so we've been married now for 16 years. And I remember on our second or third date, she asked me what it was that I was planning to do. And I was 17 at the time. And I said, the plan was to go to medical school and to be a surgeon. And fortunate enough for me, things just seemed to, to find their way and, and land in place for me to be able to do that. Did you have, do you have that in your, fa anybody else in your family background uh, in the medical field at all? No, really? nobody in the medical field. Um, you know, there were some family friends that were, that are in medicine mm -hmm. that I had the opportunity to shadow. But to be honest with you, so my father, he graduated from undergrad. Um, but other than that, like I'm the first member of my family to go wow. beyond an undergrad degree and do any form of graduate school. So, so you would be considered a, uh, a general surgeon then, correct? correct. Yep. Um, but I noticed uh, in some of the notes that I had that they also referred to you as a trauma surgeon, too. Is there what what's and maybe this is a silly question, but what's the difference yeah. between the two? And so trauma surgery, usually in most circumstances, that's somebody who has done their general surgery training, gone on to do an additional bit of training specifically in trauma. Uh, our community obviously is different because 
Um, you know, when you come here as a surgeon, you're kind of expected to to practice the full spectrum of surgery, everything from colorectal surgery to breast surgery. Uh, I did a little bit of pediatrics, still do a little bit of pediatrics, um, and trauma surgery is included in that. And so, to be honest with you, a little while back, the the burden of that trauma call became a bit much for some of our surgeons in our group. And so a position was made that focused primarily on two things, acute care surgery and trauma surgery. Um, acute care surgery basically just meaning emergency surgery, anything that comes in through the mm-hmm. emergency room. Uh, and so I saw it as an opportunity to, to work hard while I'm at work and then have more time afforded to be at home with my kids and my wife. So I took that position on. And um, so now I'm primarily trauma surgery and acute care surgery. OK. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the other things I was kind of excited to talk with you about a little bit is in in the notes that you can find information on, on Dr. Jacob Weasel, too, uh, at Monument Health. You can just type in. I just typed in Dr. Weasel, Monument Health, and all of your stuff came up. They had a great video of you on there, too, oh, kind of explaining what you do. Uh, <laughs> I, I noticed that robotics is now playing a big part in surgery as well. Yeah. And I asked you here before we got started if this has always been a part of your education, and you told me no. So it must—robotic surgery must be still a little bit in its infancy? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's in its infancy. Okay. It's been around for a bit. I think it's gaining a ton of traction across the country, and especially in, in big centers, It's it's been— present for a while. Um, I think that the advantage of that, both for the patient and for the surgeon, has made it more and more popular, as well as some of the different techniques that are afforded to the surgeon with robotics as opposed to standard laparoscopy. Well, and we're not talking about you know, when people, I think, hear the term robotics, they, yeah. they think of a, a humanoid-shaped thing standing right. there with the tools. And that's not what this is at all, really, right? No. I When I explain it to patients, I basically say it's just a tool that... It's a specialized tool that, as a surgeon, we're able to use um, just like every other instrument. It's just the fact that, um, you know, it's a tool that is under our control that allows us to do things that we can't do with regular laparoscopic surgery. And so your visualization is better. Your your movements are a bit more fine. Um, and some of the techniques that you can perform um, are, are a little bit more advanced than than. Th- that would be difficult with just standard laparoscopic surgery. So are we getting to a point, too, where a lot of these surgeries now that, that you do that might have required an overnight stay or maybe two nights can be done in the morning and people can be leaving by the afternoon? Are we getting are we getting further along that path with yeah. robotics? Yeah, definitely. I think so. Before I had taken this position as trauma and acute care surgery, you know, my practice was pretty standard. So it was... Uh, an elective surgical practice in which I would do colorectal surgery as well. And I think that one of the things I, I definitely feel like I saw a shorter length of stay with, um, you know, cancer, colon cancer patients that were having a portion of their colon removed that normally you would be in the hospital for three to five days. And I had a, a handful of patients that would go home on post-op day one or post-op day two pretty frequently. Um, and there are some centers, it's very rare to send them home from recovery after having a colon resection done, but there are places in this country where that's starting to happen now. So I think, you know, th- that's just the next wave. That's the next, that's the progression of, of surgery will be this robotics platform. And so, 
you know, with any change in technology, there are early adopters and there are late adopters. And being young in my career, I just saw this as an opportunity to, to jump on board uh, kind of on the front end and be an early adopter of that technology. So Now, I would think that Monument Health is, is, would kind of, it kind of fall in between there, wouldn't it? Kind of in between that early and established sort of a deal? Because of, because of the uh, we're in a community that's a little smaller, obviously. Yep. But, you know, having the mail backing and, 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 and that has to make a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, it really, what you need is buy-in and support from the administration, and then you need somebody to champion the cause. And so I think on both fronts, we had individuals that were interested in pursuing this, and then we had the support of administration. Uh, and now, I think if you look at the utilization of the robot, um, it's clear that, that people have adopted it into their practice and are making good use of it. Uh, and, and so I don't think it's something that's going to go away. I think it's something that's only going to continue to grow. Oh, it's a great time to be alive. All of the technology. <laughs> I love yeah. it. So how long, so how long have you been then, um, uh, practicing, uh, the, the, the trauma surgery? How many years have you been doing this? So trauma surgery is a relatively recent thing. Okay. I mean, in training, we, General we do, surgery, yeah. we do trauma surgery. Okay. I've been at, I've been at Monument for uh, almost for about four and a half years now. Okay, and then I just started this position coming up on a year now okay. with this the the trauma surgery position. So, so obviously the job that you do is uh, highly specialized. It's it's something you know very few people I think really have the fortitude to be able to do, um, and it has to lead to some 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 stress you you have busy sure. days right sure yeah <laughs> days when you when you walk out of there and you're like oh my goodness i i need i need a break i need something to help to take my mind off this and you have an incredibly interesting hobby what can i call it that is that safe to say yeah i think okay. that that's that's what my wife calls it so <laughs> yeah I you, think that uh, that's fair. you are uh, a climber right I, yeah yeah i got interested in mountaineering and mountain climbing and so that's have you been doing it for a long time or kind of more no. once you started down Re the path of? Yeah, really, you don't have the time when you're in oh, I training not. for when you're in medical school and, um, you know, when you're in residency, you're working so much and putting in the hours at the hospital to where you don't really have time for anything else. Um, I've got a wife and three kids. And so <laughs> a lot of my time was taken up you know, with my family when I wasn't at the hospital. Right. And so this is something that's relatively new for me. I guess it all started, um, it all started when I was an undergrad, actually, and I had a history professor that we had become kind of close friends. And one summer he came back uh, at the beginning of the school year and he told me about his trip to Mount Rainier over mm -hmm. that summer. And they he had an attempt, made an attempt to summit Rainier. And unfortunately, they were turned back because of weather. But it really piqued my interest. Um, he had a couple NFL prof professional NFL players that were um, on his team trying to summit. Uh, who had both apparently said that this was one of the hardest things physically that they had ever attempted in their life. Um, football and so, players, yeah, NFL football players. Yeah, wow. and so I, it was just it, was, it just interested me, and so it, that was in the back of my mind all through my training, and then got done with training and had a little bit of off time and time to pursue some of these other things. Okay. So the summer after, uh, you know, I had started practice, I took a week and had a guide service out in Washington, hired them to teach me mountaineering skills. 
and ended up summiting Rainier that summer. Oh, wow. And we had great weather, uh, successful summit attempt, and just kind of fell in love with being high up in the mountains. Well, it's amazing because nobody in your family background had any, uh, you know, medical training or medical history or a job in the medical field. And it seemed like you're like, well, I'm going to be the one to do it. And sure. so now somebody tells you a story about mountain climbing. You're like, you know what? That sounds pretty cool. I think I'm going to do that. Yeah. And you just take off and do it. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I, I love that drive in people, right? Um, so do you, uh, you've, well, you've, you've climbed Denali too in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, so there's kind of a stepwise progression because you oh, don't. Oh, there has to be. Yeah. You, you don't really <laughs> j- just go from Cloud Peak to Denali, really. Right. Um, and so, yeah, after, after Rainier and you get a basis of mountaineering skills from which you can build on. So you learn crampon technique and you learn how to travel in a rope team and you learn how to ice axe arrest and all of these different things to be safe on a mountain. And you aren't yet learning advanced skills like, you know, if you fall into a crevasse, how to rescue somebody or yourself out of a crevasse. But the next step for me, I, I actually planned a trip down to Ecuador and hired a local guide service. So I went, to, flew into Quito, Ecuador, and I was there for about 10 days, just went down by myself, um, went climbing uh, and, and mostly hiking to acclimatize in Ecuador because you know, when you go from sea level or like us here at 3,000 feet and you're going up high in the mountains to, you know, 16,000 feet or higher, mm-hmm. you can't just immediately do that. You have to go through a process of acclimatization. Uh, so spent some time in Ecuador, ended up climbing Cotopaxi and Chimborazo while I was down there and met a lot of great people. Um, I was just it was kind of a random meeting in the main plaza in Quito, Ecuador, where I met a guy named Tyler Carnavale. He works um, he works for SpaceX now oh, wow. and he hopefully will be able to join me in Nepal next year um, and hopefully we'll be able to attempt Everest. Well, that was going to be my next question. Is that, is, is that the, the, the climbing, uh, uh, Mecca? I mean, is that, is that the one? Yeah. It, it I, seems like, like, what about like, uh, uh, K2? Yeah. Is, so is, K2 is definitely a more dangerous mountain. Right. It's a bigger accomplishment in almost every mountaineer's uh, opinion. And I would agree with that hundred percent. Um, I think this is also kind of a stepwise thing in, in terms of the danger that you encounter on Everest is different than the danger that you encounter on K2. So Everest, while it might be the tallest mountain in the world, mm-hmm. technically not terribly difficult. In fact, most people would probably agree that Denali is a much more technically difficult mountain to climb um, than Everest would be. Uh, the draw for me to Everest really came from the fact that no Native American, to my knowledge, has ever summited Everest. Really? Yeah. And so I looked into it, and I think we should probably have somebody look into it, because <laughs> I reached out to Outside Magazine um, to see if their research team could look into whether a Native American has. Because I looked into Denali, and in the one of the early expeditions that were successful on Denali, there was a Native Athabascan that summited. Okay. And but, you know, I've spent several hours researching it. And I, I know that the first African-American, first black man to summit mm-hmm. Everest, this was early 2000s, I think 2006. And then first African-American woman, I think was 2013 or somewhere around there. And then I think either just this year or the year before there was an all, you know, all black team that went. But to my knowledge, no Native American has ever summited. Boy, so, that would be amazing. Yeah. So I think that would be a cool thing. Yeah. Um, it's turned into you know, a very commercialized uh, endeavor. And so when you look at some of those issues, I was, it, it 
it deterred me from it, to be honest. Sure. Um, but I think that if you can do something, if you can achieve something of that magnitude and be the first to serve not just myself, but to serve as inspiration to another generation to pursue their dreams. And when other people ask why, you should ask why not. Um, and to show that you're equally capable as anybody else to achieve whatever you want. Um, that's the main drive for me. When you get to the top of Rainier, when you get to the top of Denali, and eventually if you get to the top of K2 or Everest, what, what is the first thought that pops into your mind when you, when you touch, when your hand reaches that spot? Yeah. Is there a moment that you have a thought of like, oh my God. No, so uh, mostly the thought is, Let's get down. <laughs> uh, that's my, to be honest with you, is um, is going up more dangerous or is coming down more? Coming dangerous? down is more dangerous. Really? Yeah, coming down is far more dangerous. Uh, that's where most of the accidents happen. That's where most deaths occur. Uh, going and even just physically on your body, going. I would rather go up a uh, hundred times over than come down. It's just a lot more stressful on your body, probably because of the fatigue that you've experienced yeah. up to that point. You're using different muscle groups. Um, going down is just terrible. <laughs> yeah. Does uh, does your does your family still get nervous when you do this? Oh yeah, my Are wife they... hates it. <laughs> so my... have you, has she ever had the desire to to, to try to join Not you? At all. No, she's, <laughs> no. She's, look, look, she stands up on the on the on the on the chair in the living room and is like, "Well, that's too high." <laughs> no, yeah, she doesn't have any interest at all, and that's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's sometimes it's a it's a struggle and a sacrifice, equal struggle and sacrifice mm -hmm. for her to allow me to do these things, I suppose. But and it's got to be a way, you know, like like we mentioned when I set this up for you is, you know, what you do is already stressful enough. You know, you have literally people's lives in your hands sometimes. So an outlet like this must it must it must kind of um, refresh you a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think honestly, for me, it's the challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and so from the age of 16 until I graduated from my surgical residency, that was the drive. I had a goal and I had an aim and every most of the effort in my life was aimed at that. Um, when you graduate and you move on to your career, obviously you're, you're working and you have your family and you're trying to, to be a husband and a father mm -hmm. and to develop your children into to good, strong individuals. Um, but there's something that you need to point towards and you need to aim at again. And so for me, mountaineering became one of those things. Um, I think that yeah, I, I, I climbed Kilimanjaro in October of last year. And so for eight days on that mountain, I was without cell service. And I think the I came back and I told my wife, along with a whole lot of other people, that those were probably the best eight days for me <laughs> oh, sure. of the whole year. Um, obviously, you know, I love spending time with my wife and of my course. kids. But to be able to unplug, to be on a mountain um, and to experience nothing but just the present moment, uh, and to see beauty that a lot of other people don't get to experience, um, I think that's kind of what draws me to it. Uh, on Denali, I should say, we got turned back, climbing Denali, we got turned back about 1,500 feet below the summit. So on summit day, uh, made it out early in the morning, we were climbing for about four and a half hours uh, up to a point where you, you come across something called the Autobahn. It's a difficult, dangerous traverse. 
come around that corner and we got hit. We were getting hit with wind, but we got hit with wind of, you know, gusts of 50 miles an hour. And it was already about 15 below. So it was around 50 below at that point. Oh, my. Um, we were looking at being outdoors for 12 to 15 hours at 50 below. And so some of the guides that we were with basically, you know, in, in calculating the risk, you have about a 50-50 chance of keeping all your fingers and toes at that point. And so we ended up turning back. But when you come around that and you see, you know, the ferocity of the mountain and the power of the mountain, uh, even that in itself, in my opinion, is a privilege to experience something that is that powerful in nature that few other people get to experience and then walk away from it unscathed uh, with your health and all of your fingers and toes, but with a very deep respect for what that mountain is. Um, so that's another reason why I enjoy doing it, honestly, is the pain and the suffering and the experience of what nature yeah. really is. Well, Dr. Jacob, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. This has been awesome. Now, I have one more challenge for you, okay? okay? I want you, because you love challenges, I want you to pronounce that word for me, Sir, okay? Yeah, it's esophagogastroduodenoscopy, EGDs. It's easier to dictate EGD oh than esophagogastroduodenoscopy. I saw that word uh, when I was doing some research for this, and I, 15 minutes, I thought, all right, I'm going to see if he really knows it. Well, you know, oh, yeah, of yeah. course, that's great. What What is that? So that's a, so it's an EGD, it's where we go down with a camera, through the mouth, oh, that's what that into is. the esophagus, and then, yeah, so esophago, so esophagus, mm -hmm. gastro, stomach, okay. duodenoscopy, duodenum is the first part of your small intestine, right. and then you're sticking a scope down those, so oh, add oscopy. Good heavens, you doctors so. in your words. There you go. <laughs> At least it's not Latin. So, <laughs> Dr. Jacob Weasel from Monument Health, thank you so much for, for talking with us. Uh, I've had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mark. You bet. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Home Slice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquist, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.